This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. ourselves at a loss for words to listen to God is not always easy, um, but it's essential to find those times alone with Him. We'll talk more about that here in just a minute. Um, I don't know, uh, last night, um, of course at midnight, some people setting off fireworks and stuff, and um, there's a giant boom in our neighborhood. I don't know if uh, any of you live anywhere close to us, but um, Kyle Bland over on first, just off First Street, and somewhere between us, because he heard it too. 
Um, and then, you know, the police scanner was talking about it and stuff. So I don't know what they had, but it was big. Um, but then uh, I, I, I feel like it's important for me to share this with you today. I, um, there is a way where you can get around the fireworks laws and make a ginormous boom, okay? And just I'm just going to throw this in for free today as a how-to. And Pastor Joe can actually show you how to do this. So, um, But you take a two-liter two liter soda bottle, right? And some of you have done this before. And you, and you put aluminum foil in there, and then you take the Works brand toilet cleaner. You can get, I mean, it's a dollar general for a little bit of nothing, okay? And you pour the Works toilet cleaner into the bottle with the aluminum foil and screw the cap back on as fast as you can and throw it as far as you can. And it takes a little bit, but you see this soda bottle start to kind of swell up like a balloon, and it makes the big, it sounds like an M80 or something. And it doesn't break any fireworks laws. It's a beautiful thing. So, uh, those of you who are, uh, who are, who have a predilection for that sort of thing, there you go. That's just free. But, uh, I have a kind of a history with fire. I, I, uh, almost burned down the house when I was a kid, and, and, um, I mean, a lot of things that I've done. And, and so far, I've, I have not actually burned down a structure that I wasn't trying to burn down on purpose. It wasn't supposed to burn down. But when I was a kid, I, I don't know, my confused ADHD childhood, I have a complete memory wipe of it, but I, I, I just go on the stories people tell. And um, I, uh, my, my Uncle Ralph Bland tells me a story of when I was a little kid. I said, you know, I'm never going to marry anybody. Now, somebody might marry me, but I'm never going to marry anybody. And man, I'm glad Cindy married me. Um, but uh, I don't know. He, he could have made that story up, but I believe it when, when they tell me these stories. But I guess I was, uh, I don't know, four or five years old. And uh, I went in the kitchen, we had a gas range, and I, I turned on a burner on the stove and, you know, had it going. And then I don't know what my thinking was. Maybe hot pads are what you use to handle hot things. And so I got a hot pad out, set it on top of that burner on the gas range. And uh, just turned away, okay, my work here is done, you know. And and so, obviously, the hot pad caught fire and the flames were going, my mom said the flames were going above the range hood when she came into the kitchen. And uh, she, thinking quickly, she grabbed uh, some metal tongs and grabbed the hot pad, threw it in the sink, and got the fire out before it actually caused any damage to the house. But, uh, I, you know, I'm sure I got spanked for the third or fourth time that day. And... Um, but that was that was something I did when I was small, and uh, then my parents, when I got to be a little older, my parents made the the big strategic mistake of uh, putting me in Boy Scouts, where they teach you how to build fires. And um, so I was in this Boy Scout troop, and and they, you know, in the, in the Boy Scout handbook, they have these stories, and in Boy's Life is the magazine you get when you're in Boy Scouts, and they have these stories about boys who are like out in the wilderness in these adverse conditions, and. You know, it's a life or death thing, and they figured out how to build a fire and save their lives with the warmth and the cold conditions. And so I became just fascinated with these stories, and, and I had to learn how to start a fire in any and all conditions. And so my friend Jared and I, Jared was in my Boy Scout troop, and we went to the same church, and we were both kind of weird. And, and uh, so we, after church was over, every, every time we went to church, our families, you know, they were probably just hanging out, talking to their friends and all. We would head down behind the church. There was a little creek with some woods. And um, we'd try to start a campfire. And uh, I, I know you're thinking, this, what a weird little kid. Well, you haven't been very around very long if you haven't already been thinking in the terms of what a weird dude that guy is. But 
um, yeah, that, that's what we did for you know for for a couple of years there. We after church we'd head down into those woods, and the pastor told us, well, you can light a campfire if you do it on the little sandbar in the little creek. You know, I guess he thought that would be safe, and um, I don't know. He that was a bad idea for him to tell us we could do that, but we'd go down there and we'd we'd take our little fire starter stuff and we'd try to light a fire and the we were we were the happiest if the weather was worse you know if it was raining if it was cold we went down there in the snow um and we'd try to find you know wood just around and build a campfire uh even in really bad weather and wet weather and you know we we started getting good at it you you learn a few things after a while of trying to do that you learn about uh on evergreen trees a, a lot of kinds of evergreen trees you got the uh, the outside of the evergreen tree with the needles, the needles or the you know the fur kind of leaves or whatever, and underneath the needles part of the tree, usually up against the trunk, there's these sort of smaller dead wood branches that are up against the trunk and they're sheltered by the needles from the rain, so they're fairly dry and they also usually have this tar or resin in there that makes them more flammable, and you can break those off. And I'll tell you, sometimes. In wet weather, you can go right up next to the trunk of an evergreen tree and snap off one of those branches, and it's just dry as dry as a bone. And it's a and we would learn how to do this. And, you know, you'd, you'd whittle it down, kind of feather some of it out, make a fire, and you you know you could get a fire going even in really bad weather. And I, I'm happy to report to you that after uh, a lifetime of going backpacking and in all kinds of crazy weather, I have never been skunked lighting a fire even in really bad weather. Um, Snow, rain, whatever, we've always got a fire going. Um, there was once when Jeremy Oring and I were backpacking up on the Canadian border, and we were stuck in a tent for 36 straight hours in a torrential downpour. Crazy, crazy rainstorm. When we, when we hiked in, there was a burn ban on. They said no fires, absolutely no fire. You can have a little camp stove, um, but absolutely no campfires at all. And, uh, I mean, there were signs on the trailheads and all this stuff. They said, the rangers, if they catch you, they'll find you, you know. But after 36 hours of torrential downpour in that tent, we got out and decided, for us at least, the burn ban was over. And we were going to light a campfire. And the temperature was maybe in the 50s, which, you know, it's not miserable. But when it's wet and kind of cold out there, you, you just, I mean, you feel miserable. So we decided we are going to have a fire. And we took this little tiny folding saw and a small hatchet and just chawed and sopped chawed and sopped that's not how i want to say that chawed that would be like tobacco or something probably but no that's not what we did we sawed and we chopped and we got down to the heart of this huge fallen log where there was still some dry heartwood in there and we made a giant roaring blaze and it was awesome i've never been skunked making a fire even in bad weather because i was such a weird little kid that learned how to make campfires um and, you know, that's that's kind of some of my history with fire. Now, is that strange? Yes, it is. But I'm actually going somewhere with this, and it's actually spiritual, and it's actually scriptural, so don't tune out, okay? Two Sunday nights ago, we had our Christmas candlelight service. And that's a service that I love for lots of reasons. The choir sounded awesome, again, and it's generally such a cool service. But the time in that service that's probably my favorite, and probably a lot of yours too, is when we're actually lighting the candles. And not just because of my history with fire. Okay, a little because of my history with fire, but when we're actually lighting the candles and the way the light spreads across the room and we're singing Silent Night and Darren has us stand and raise our candles high and we raise that light up. And, and you know, Christmas celebrates the light of the world, Jesus, coming into the darkness of our condition. 
and then fulfilling what a prophet 700 years before he was born had said he would do. He said, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Then later, Jesus teaches that this light is a gift that He's entrusting to us, to His followers. He says, you are the light of the world. Matthew 5.16, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your Heavenly Father. Now it's our job to carry His light to the world around us. Now this Advent wreath here is not lit today. And that's on purpose because obviously, you know, the Advent season, the Christmas season is over. But symbolically, it's also, we lit our candles from this center candle, the Christ candle. We had the two candle lighters who come, and, or the, the four candle lighters who come and light their candles from this, and then we spread the light across it. And, and this is extinguished now to symbolize that we now carry the light to our community, to the world. Now, if, you know, when Jesus went back to heaven, he left us. He says, you know, in John, he said, while I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. But then later he says, you are the light of the world. He entrusts the light to us. And there's no backup plan with that either. He, he, he left us to do the work that he's called us to do, that he's created us to do, to share his light with the world around us. So now this Christ candle is extinguished and that's on purpose because the light has been passed to us and we carry the light to the world around us. And the crazy idea about this is that we are such imperfect people. We are such flawed, sometimes broken people. And it's this crazy idea of us carrying the light to other flawed, imperfect, sometimes broken people. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And if you want to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians I've got a couple of verses here in chapter 4, and then we'll spend quite a bit of our time in chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, at verse 6. For God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts, so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. Now, I told you about my uh, fascination with learning how to light campfires, and part of that was fueled by the fact that when I was in junior high, somewhere in there, I started reading stories by like Jack London and you know these adventure stories of um, like prospectors in the Alaskan gold rush that would be out there in the snow with a dog sled and and just, I mean, it was a life or death issue. If this match didn't catch the fire, that was it. They were done. It was over. And some of those stories are really depressing because the dude dies at the end. And so as a young man, that made a big impression on me. You know, that, that there was this idea of if you don't carry the fire, if you don't get this lit, that's it. It's over. You're done. And I remember that reading then about uh, ancient cultures, nomadic peoples, before they invented matches, before they invented ways to make actual flame quickly, it is so much easier if you don't have some you know, chemical way of making flame, it is so much easier to relight from glowing embers a fire than it is to kindle a flame from nothing. And so in these ancient nomadic cultures, they would come up with ways of carrying the fire with them. 
so that when they got to where they were going, they could re-light from this, this, uh, this coal that was just glowing. Maybe even just one small, uh, almost dead coal. There would just be enough heat, enough flame inside that knot of wood that they could rekindle it and get it going again when they got to where they were going. And there was various ways of doing this. They would wrap up, um, they would wrap up some uh, uh, kindling and, and have one coal in the center of it. Or they would they would do all, and, and they would wrap it up so tightly that the oxygen couldn't quite get to it enough to actually flame out, but enough just enough so that they would keep the coal alive in there. And then another thing that was fairly common, especially where they had uh, you know horses or mules or, or donkeys or camels to help them carry things, was that they would rig a clay pot, a, ti- a tiny little clay pot that, that carried the fire, that carried the light, that carried the flame to the next place they were going, and rig it. Um, and, and several cultures did this. Ancient, uh, the, the Mongols that, that traveled with, with all the horses, um, the Mongolian Empire, they would carry the fire in a clay pot. Those, the uh, Bedouins in the Middle East, they would carry the fire in a clay pot. And when they would go from one place to another, it was very important for the person who was carrying the fire to make sure that that coal didn't go out, that that coal was protected as they went from one place to another. And as a young man, I became really fascinated with this idea and then... You know, when I, when I finally started taking my faith seriously, I told you about, you know, doing this little weird exercise of going to light a campfire out behind the church when church was over. Well, there was nothing going on in my heart at that time as far as I was raised by great parents, went to a great church, nothing going on in my heart. I, I knew how to quote verses and I could anybody in a Bible quiz, but nothing going on as far as the, the light being lit in my heart at that time. But I remember later when I, when I read this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where I read this about, we have this light shining in our hearts. In verse 7, we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. And there's this idea of us being these little clay pots that carry the light, even if it's just a, a tiny little glowing ember, that we carry the light to the world around us. And it's this great, awesome responsibility. It's this crucial life and death responsibility. You know, you hear a lot of people urging you to make a difference. At this time of year, within the last week, you've probably heard from 20 to 30 different nonprofit organizations, uh, mailings, emails, phone calls, whatever, from them reminding you that this week was your last chance to donate and get a tax deduction in 2016. And uh, I guess today they don't want your money anymore. You know, <laughs> I don't want your filthy money now. No, it seems like they don't bother you for a while after the new year. But you understand why they do that. Um, and today is the big day also for a lot of people with, with resolutions and things like that. And, and we're urged to make a difference. We're urged to, to do something, you know. And the concept of making a difference is just a wide open thing. I, uh, I got to go to a class. Joe let me sit in on a class that the World Missions Board took this last year um, talking about the right way to make a difference in developing nations where poverty is a desperately acute problem. Um, and, and they talked about there are a lot of charities that are basically front-end loaded. Where, and what I mean by that is the charity focuses only on the fundraising part like in the wealthier nation, like the U.S., um, this charity focuses on the fundraising and the, you know, presenting the marketing, the, you know, presenting the message so that they bring in funds um, on the front end. 
and then on the back end where where the help is actually going they don't spend nearly as much of their time on the back end finding out what will actually be helpful in those situations for example there there are many charities that that are about clean water and water wells in in developing nations and that's a that's a wonderful thing but uh there there are a lot of charities that focus on the front end of just raising all the money and presenting this need and then on the back end um i saw this in africa uh last summer when in in northern ghana um in the sahel the, the southern end of the sahara where it's very dry most of the year uh people had donated to dig these wells they're called boreholes um and they have these pumps on top that um you know can be operated by hand and people would donate all this money to to build these wells and but these wells take um at least that much money every year to upkeep them and we saw all these borehole wells sitting around that were just like the handles were falling off and they were rusting because you know there's a charity that presented the need well raised the money dug the well and it doesn't work anymore um or it's 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 contaminated it needs it needs maintenance things like that and so i got to sit in on this class where they talked about the right way to help the right way to make a difference you know that you need to spend at least as much time on the back end figuring out what will actually be helpful as you do marketing presenting the need that kind of thing and you, you know i i think if you don't know how to make a difference and if you're worried about your charity not doing it the right way i'd say you know err on the side of generosity for sure um, if if you're just going to say well you know these charities don't always do it right so i guess i won't give no that, that that's not my point okay do something right but this concept of making a difference is such a wide open thing and so many people i think believe that they're making a difference when when you look at it maybe that needs a little more thought an extreme example of this i the the example that makes me so angry and and many of you as well think about the Westboro Baptist Church you know that the church that's just kind of out there and they they hold up these crazy signs at soldiers funerals protesting you know um very offensive stuff that they're saying on these on these signs and and these people from Westboro Baptist travel all over the country and attend the funerals of soldiers killed in combat and hold up these signs um just horribly offensive signs and i wonder what the psychology is that's involved there and i don't i can't i can't figure it out i don't know what they're thinking i don't know there's got to be something so deeply broken inside them that they just can't figure out what the right way is and i think those people that are holding those horrible protest signs at the soldiers funerals they probably think they're making a difference I I got to think that that's that's what they're thinking that they they actually think that's true what they say on their signs. And and if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can google it, but I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. Uh just just give you an hour of about to bust with your anger, right? But those people probably believe that they're making a difference. Just as much as the freedom riders across from them believe they're making a difference. And man, I'm I'm right there with the freedom riders on that one. You know about them? They're guys that ride in on motorcycles. They get between the protesters and the soldier's family and they rev their motorcycle engines so that the family can't hear the protesters. Most of the time, I don't recommend revving your motorcycle engine beside a funeral, but in these cases, it's a wonderful, awesome thing. Love those guys. And it's easy to motivate people to make a difference through guilt, you know, through whatever, but it's such a wide open concept. 
what is making a difference? How do we make a difference? What, you know, and, and, and there's all different motivators too. Guilt is a huge one. I could take that route today. I could give you all sorts of reasons that you're not doing enough, you're not good enough, you're not giving enough, etc. And if it's true that you're being selfish and lazy, then stop that, okay? But that's enough said about that. If guilt is your only motivator, it won't last. People who are motivated by guilt will work or give or change for a week or two, or maybe for a day or for an hour or until church is over. And maybe they give a few bucks to the Salvation Army bell ringers, or they even donate a day of volunteering, or maybe they even do something pretty significant in the short term, but guilt is not a reliable cause of long-term change. Besides, it's too easy to take a stand, quote-unquote, or make a difference for something that doesn't really cost you anything. Um, I had Laura and Jack at the store at Woods um, a few days ago, and uh, we were leaving the store, and, you know, of course, Salvation Army bell ringers are out there on the sidewalk. And so I dug out some change from my pocket and gave it to Laura and Jack so they could put it in the Salvation Army bucket. And, you know, it's, they're two and four, so, you know, it's a good thing. They, you know, But that, that didn't cost them anything. That, that money was my money that I was giving them to put in the bucket. And not only did it not cost them anything, the guy handed them the bell and let them ring the bell for a while. So they actually profited off of this giving scenario. And so, bad parenting move, right? Now, I've got plenty of time, you know, want to be careful saying i got plenty of time because all of you will say, no, it passes so quickly, and don't you let it pass by. I know, I know, leave me alone. Um, it better pass quickly because I need some sleep. My twins last night, whew, fireworks. I'll go hand a screaming twin to those fireworks fellers and see how they like that. But yeah, Jack and Laura, that didn't cost them anything. They, you know, that was giving that didn't cost them anything. But when, when you're making a difference in a way that actually costs you something, um, you know, it, that's, that's, that's when it's actually going to the heart, right? You remember the Occupy protest movement? Occupy Wall Street, and it spread across the country, different cities. People were protesting because the economy was bad, but no one really seemed to know what their goals were. I think there were probably some Occupy protesters that had some worthy things that they were trying to accomplish, but nobody seemed to understand what the goal was. They were just protesting because their lives were tough. And then we saw all these news stories where they were using their iPhones or their expensive Android phones to organize the protests, people with expensive gadgets and data plans running $100 a month and up, protesting about how their lives are full of economic angst and suffering. And some people protest, just protest, or, or they just take a stand because they're grouchy, right? And the, the stereotype here is an old guy who's like, get off my lawn, you know? But I've seen teenagers who have grown up in church do this. Not to get off my lawn thing, what they do is they say, I, you know, I really stood up for my faith at school. Now, there's some people that were really, really criticizing me for my faith, and I really stood up to them. And man, that, I, I guess that maybe sometimes happens. But in several cases, I've asked some questions and kind of drilled down on that and figured out, you know, what they're really doing was throwing their Christianity in the face of somebody that they don't like. There's somebody that annoys them, somebody that they don't like, so they throw their Christianity in their face and then claim that that person is persecuting them when they react predictably. You know, I don't agree with you, so you must be anti-Jesus because I'm a Christian. And if you disagree with me, 
you're guilty of religious persecution. Oh, it's so trying being the salt of the earth. And I've seen this happen. Kids who've grown up in church and they go and they claim religious persecution just because somebody is annoying them and they're throwing their faith in their face. People take a stand, quote-unquote, for lots of different reasons, just being grouchy, discontentment. The big one is guilt, as we said. Big one, the, the guilt is the big motivator, especially this time of year. But for those who are followers of Jesus, guilt is not our motivation, right? Scripture says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. So guilt is not a part of the equation at all. Because according to the Scripture, the guilt is gone. Your sin, if you belong to Jesus, if you've given your life to Him, if you've been forgiven for your sins, guilt is gone. That's not part of this at all. So if anybody tries to guilt you into doing something, forget about it. Guilt is not a part of the equation if you belong to Jesus Christ. Do we deserve guilt? Absolutely we do. But we have freedom from our guilt because of Him. So throw guilt out the window. That's not why we make a difference. That's not why we serve. That's not why we do things. We do not do it because of guilt. We carry the light not to avoid being seen as selfish or lazy. We don't carry the light because we want to avoid feeling like we're not good enough. The truth is, we're not good enough. But we carry the light and make a difference despite that fact that we're not good enough. I know I don't have it all together. I'm flawed. I'm sometimes selfish, lazy, whatever. I complained about my twins just now. Shows you just how selfish I am. Um... You know that, and and when you have when you have toddlers in the house, you realize how selfish you are. Um, you know, I I get all miffed and and out of sorts when I don't have enough me time. You know, when there's all these toddlers running around the house, and man, it just shows how selfish I am. Sometimes I'm selfish. Sometimes I'm lazy. Whatever, but I carry the light because Jesus lit this darkness in my heart, and He's given me this light to carry in this cracked clay jar. And yes, you have permission to call me a crackpot after church if it makes you feel better about yourself. But I love the picture of this precious gift in a fragile container. Never forget what a priceless treasure the light of Jesus in your heart is. And the great news is that in 2017, you can carry the light. You can make a difference. And it's not because you have it all together or you always get it right. It's because Jesus wants you to join Him in making the world right again And He wants to give you the strength and the power to do it despite your imperfections and your flaws. When we follow Jesus, guilt is not the motivator anymore. Inadequacy is not the motivator anymore. Yeah, we're inadequate. Yeah, we're imperfect. we got messed up pasts. we got scars. Yeah, it's all there. It's all true. Don't deny it. It's there. But we carry the light anyway. Because He has cleansed us. Because He set us free. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you belong to Jesus, you're a citizen of another world, a better world, the world to come where Jesus makes all things new. And for now, we live with this tension. It's a back and forth pull. We're representatives of heaven, but we're imperfect people. We're longing to be made perfect, carrying the light of Jesus to an imperfect world, longing to be made perfect. And Jesus sends His Holy Spirit to work through us, changing us, renewing us as symbols of the way the world will be changed and renewed. Paul explains it this way, and this is in the next chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in the first verse. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, 
We will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God Himself and not by human hands. So that's what we're longing for. Then verse 2, We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies, we will not be spirits without bodies. Verse 4, While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us, Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. That's awesome. What an awesome word picture there. These dying bodies that we live in now will be swallowed up by life. It's not swallowed by the grave if you belong to Jesus. You're swallowed up by life. That's an awesome difference. That's an awesome change. Verse 5, God Himself has prepared us for this, and as a guarantee, He has given us His Holy Spirit. So we are always confident even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord, for we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please Him. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Verse 11. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Skip to verse uh, 14. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one, one died for all, and therefore all died. And He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. This means that anyone... This is verse 17, sorry. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. Verse 18, And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to Himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to Him. Remember Jesus said, Now you are the light of the world. Here it is. Verse 19, For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, And He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making His appeal through us. We carry His light. It's the only plan He made. It says, We speak for Christ when we plead, Come back to God. Verse 21, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin. Or another way to say that is to become sin itself so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So there's the tension. We long for heaven. We have this divine discontentment with the way we are now, with the way the world is now. And that's on purpose. That's designed that way. There's a longing for everything to be made right again. But our job isn't to just sit around complaining about how bad things are and wishing for heaven. There's a song that has a line that describes this. It says, I've got my head in the clouds and my feet on good dirt. We have a longing for what's to come, but for now we have this responsibility and privilege. Paul said, whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please Him. Uh, This is Colossians chapter 1. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but Colossians 1 in verse 27, it says, Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing His glory. He's placed His Spirit in us, okay? Verse 28, so we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God, perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. 
The key there is that Christ lives in us. Guilt is not our motivator. Love is. The previous passage said, for Christ's love compels us. And that means recognition is not our motivator either. We don't make a difference to get our name in the paper so that we get community service awards. But hey, if your name's in the paper, if you get an award, that's great. I believe in recognizing people that are making a difference. But the recognition is not the motivator. Christ's love compels us. I want to put out a challenge this year, but it's not a challenge to everybody. If you have it all together, this challenge is not for you. If you're perfect, I've got nothing for you. If you are a totally mature Christian and you never struggle with selfishness, you never struggle with laziness, you never struggle with having a bad attitude, then you can just sit there and feel good about yourself the rest of this sermon and ignore everything else I say. This is not a challenge for you. I, um, my grandpa shared a quote with me that was undoubtedly written by a very mature, sincere Christian and uh, he's, the quote was, A hurried life is a sign of a disordered mind. And I thought, oh, you know what? That's probably true, and that's so deep. But that dude did not have kids. <laughs> so if you're, always, if you're ever frustrated, if your house isn't perfectly clean, if, you know, if, if, you're not, if you don't have it all together, then for those of us like that, I've got a challenge. Let's carry the light of Jesus. Let's make a difference. Not because we feel guilty. Not because we want people around us to think we're perfect. Not just because we want to make a good resolution. But I want to challenge all the imperfect people. Find the way that God's Spirit is calling you to make a difference. Because He is. The Scripture says there are good works that He's prepared in advance for us to do. He's calling you to make a difference somewhere, somehow. Find that way that He's calling you to make a difference. Christ's love compels us. You know, some people don't feel like they can serve or make a difference because they have too many problems in their own lives. You know, we've talked to a lot of people around here that have some very tough times going on in their lives right now. And I don't know near all the stories in this room, I'm sure. But if you've got some seriously messed up stuff going on in your life right now, I don't want to minimize that. I don't want to say ignore that, set it aside and forget about it. No. You don't forget about it. You don't ignore it. But while you're going through even the toughest times, keep your head up. Rise above some of those issues by serving somewhere around you. And you don't, you know, you know, you don't ignore the issues, but while you're waiting for God to show you the way through the stuff you're dealing with, you serve. Because this is a very powerful secret. I feel like uh, Osteen or, or uh, Andy Stanley. This is a very powerful secret. But the best way to deal with your own problems is to clearly hear God's voice directing your choices in those issues, right? Right? Everybody with me on that? Yeah? You have to clearly hear and understand God's direction. So how do we do that? Well, Romans 12 says it's when we allow God to renew our minds and transform us to be like Christ. That's how we can clearly understand God's perfect will. So to hear from God, we need to become more like Christ. And here's the secret I was talking about. You're never more like Jesus than when you serve. Because He said, I came not to serve, not to be served, but to serve others. And to give my life as a ransom for many. And then it says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, 
taking the very nature of a servant, right? You're never more like Jesus than when you serve. And when you become like Jesus, you can clearly hear God's direction to help you through the tough times. And we carry, when we carry His light to others, our own path becomes more clearly lit as a result. Christ's love compels us. We carry His light and make a difference because of His love for us. And I'm not going to give you a list. I'm not going to lay out, you know, here's how you can volunteer. There's a lot of ways in our community. There's some in your church bulletin. There's some in the rest of the community. There's some with organizations that work on the other side of the world. I'm not going to give you a list. But I want to challenge you to do what Paul described here. Just take some time. Maybe you get alone with God and maybe you take an, your Bible and, and maybe something to write on and, and not much else. Turn your phone off. And just sit and talk to God and wait for Him to give you some specific ideas. Tim sang that song, Word of God, Speak. And maybe you just get alone, turn off your phone, get alone with, with God. And I know, if you've got little kids, it's tough to find carve out an hour to do that. But just find some time to get alone with God, talk to Him, wait for Him to give you some specific ideas, something that you'll be passionate about where you can serve. But the main thing is that we carry His light everywhere, all the time. In our everyday lives of going to work, hanging out with friends and family, we carry His light. We act as ambassadors of Jesus. And if you've still got any family reunion things going on in the next day or two, I know some of you do, sometimes the toughest place to carry His light is right there at a family reunion. You know, And maybe you can work on doing that through His power working in you this week. But we act as ambassadors of Jesus. We try to please Him in every area of our lives because His love for us gives us the opportunity to be representatives of the world to come in the middle of this messed up world we live in right now. Jesus said, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Then in Matthew, He passed the job to us and He says, you are the light of the world. We're carrying His light in these fragile containers. We carry the light to the world around us, not because we're perfect, Not because we want to be better people, but because Christ is in us and we carry His light through His strength for His glory. Would you stand and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You that You have called us to carry Your light. And we know know how imperfect we are. We know how unworthy we are to be carrying Your light. But You've called us to do it anyway. And I thank You, God, that You have given us this great responsibility, this great privilege. Lord, if there's somebody here today who is so far from You that they think, man, I, I can't even start to think about carrying the light. I just, I'm, I'm so far from God right now, I can't even start to think about that. Then, Lord, if there's somebody like, like that here today, I pray that right now, from their hearts, they would cry out to You and say, Lord, would You... Would you take away my darkness? Give me your light. Would you forgive my sins and make me new? And then, Lord, if there's somebody here today who's feeling, I guess, a lot like I do sometimes, that even though we're trying to follow you, we just we're so imperfect. We we get it wrong so often, and and our selfishness kind of shows itself again. And we've got to resubmit our hearts to you, and it's frustrating because we feel like we ought to be getting it by now. But God, I pray that we wouldn't focus so much on our flaws or the imperfections or the guilt, but that we would focus on carrying this precious light, this precious commission that You've given us, that we would serve, we would show Your light to the world around us, those who are desperately seeking a ray of light in the darkness of their lives, 
that we would be your representatives, that we would show your love. God, help us to carry your light through your strength and for your glory. Thank you, God. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a good week. Happy New Year. We'll see you. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.